Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. And I'll read from the English Standard Version. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a cold tide, on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they began, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, Already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for all that you have done for us. In this time of Lent, as we reflect on the life of our Lord and Savior, on this day of his entry into Jerusalem, we praise you. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for our Lord. We thank you for our King. I pray that quicken our hearts today, O oh Lord, as we hear about Him. Thank you, Lord. So when I read the scripture, I thought I'll write a poem which describes a few things about the scripture. Uh, I don't usually write poems, so please bear with this one. So two types of motions up and down, scale the steep slope, then descend down, see Jerusalem, here comes he now, your king riding on a donkey's foal, just as Zechariah the prophet had told. So today is the sixth Sunday, last Sunday of the Lent, which is called Palm Sunday, commemorating Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and people, they came out to greet him. But you notice in this uh, Gospel of Luke, there is no mention of the palm branches. If you read Matthew, he talks about people carried some branches. Mark will say people carried branches and, branches and some leafy branches. And uh, John made it quite explicit that they were carrying palm branches. So this is called Palm Sunday. But when I read Luke, I see, okay, Luke has showed that uh, disciples, they cast their cloaks on the donkey, Lot of people casting cloaks on the road as Jesus is riding on the donkey. 
They might have called it uh, Casting Cloak Sunday. But they don't. The tradition calls it Palm Sunday. What is the significance of palms? If you read in the scriptures, most of the time palms, they are associated with the natural bounty of the land. So let's say in an oasis, you know, there is water and there are palm trees around it. Uh, it talks about it has a decorative appeal. See, they look quite neat. Especially looking, think of a desert setting where they provide a lot of shade. But if you read the book of Maccabees, first book of Maccabees and second book of Maccabees, it has mentioned of palm branches which can throw, throw some light on the historical background, why people did such a thing. See, Judea, Jerusalem, it was under the foreign occupation. And in First Maccabees, when Simon Maccabees, he led his troops into this fortress, which was abandoned by the Gentiles, by the pagans, his soldiers, soldiers they were carrying palm branches, and they were singing songs of victory to God. And when you read Second Maccabees, it talks about Judas Maccabees. He recaptured Jerusalem and the temple from the foreign invaders. And at that time as well, people were carrying palm branches and twigs and different willows, especially thinking of the Feast of Boots that has just passed, and they couldn't celebrate it. And they had to spend that time just roaming the hills, living in the caves because of the foreign oppressor. And when the rededication of the temple happened, they came out storming with the palm branches and praising God, giving him thanks. So this shows some light, throws some light on this passage. What are people really anticipating when they came out with these palm branches? They are really expecting a military leader, somebody who will turn the fortunes of Israel once again, and they will establish the supremacy of Israel they won't have to live under the Roman occupation anymore. So let me paint a picture of the scene in Jerusalem, what it might have been. See, Jews from all over the world, all over the known world of that time, they would have gathered for the feast of the Passover. Uh, the atmosphere would have been quite electric, full of excitement. One could feel the enthusiasm and the fervor probably of a magnitude even higher than when all blacks won the Rugby World Cup. Jesus was talked about everywhere. Some were saying that he was the mighty prophet Elijah who has come back. Some were saying, man, when he preaches, we feel this strong pull on our souls. We are just driven to him. Some were saying that without a doubt, this has to be, this has to be the Messiah which has been spoken in the scriptures. And he has come to deliver us from the yoke of oppression of the Romans. Well, after all, Jesus has just broke forth onto the scene about three years ago. And then John the Baptist, he was the first prophet they had seen after a few hundred years of no prophet being in the land. And he pointed to him and he said, he is greater than I am. I was sent to prepare the way for him. And then other people, they were saying, they have heard a voice speak from the sky a few times that this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And not only this, then all these signs that he performs, he had shown this amazing power of the natural elements. He had turned water into wine, and he used just two fishes and five loaves of bread 
to feed 5,000 people. And moreover, his disciples, they had surprised some of the people by saying that, man, we were in the boat and there was a storm. He just said, silence, and things went calm. And not only he displayed this power over the natural elements, he displayed this huge power upon human life. He was just healing sick people at a very rapid rate. He was casting out demons, displaying power over the supernatural. Moreover, he, was, he could raise people back from the dead. And his latest miracle, Lazarus, he lived in Bethany, not only a few miles from Jerusalem. And probably the pilgrims who are coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, this time took a detour and came from Bethany. And just marveling, wow. And maybe dreaming up a little bit, wow, the Messiah is here. And they are conjuring up their own dreams. Maybe he will lead us into a successful revolt. And they start to dream, you know, mesmerized about anointing a king in Jerusalem and bringing down the throne of Caesar and established an Israeli king, a Jewish king, Usher, the age of the kingdom of God. So the air of Jerusalem breathes of this ecstatic anticipation. But to be sure, there are always some people who are not very keen with this uh, madness. So there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees. They were very quick to point out Look into the scriptures. No prophet comes out of Galilee. And then the so-called prophet of yours, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you know who are his disciples? Some illiterate fishermen from Galilee. And some woman. Has any of the Pharisees or the rulers of the synagogues have put a dollar on him? Are we backing him? What's wrong with you folks? But as you know that these cynics, they didn't make that much of a difference to the people. They are just mesmerized by the dreams of glory. All they wanted was the Roman treachery to end, oppression no more, and Israel to be supreme. And Jesus himself knew exactly what these people were thinking. He knew it because even his twelve disciples, they were thinking that kingdom will come all at once. And while walking towards the Mount of Olives, he just told them a parable in uh, Luke 19, 11 to 27, that it's called the parable of the ten minas, that kingdom will not come, away, come straight away, but there's going to be a waiting time. But of course, he indeed is the king, and he will usher the kingdom of God, but it will be done differently. He will not triumph militaristically, but by shedding of his blood on the cross. So Jesus is all set now. As he is ascending the slope of the Mount of Olives, he tells his disciples, I'm about to make an entry. And his disciples, they wish that Jesus said, go into the next village, and there you will see a dazzling white stallion, a war horse, neighing ready for the battle. I'll mount on it and lead the charge. And you boys follow me. No, he doesn't say that. He said, go into the town, go into the village, and you will see a colt tied. Untie it and bring it to me. Why a donkey's colt, you may ask? Why not a stallion? What's wrong with Jesus? 
See, in the ancient Israel, even before the kings they came onto the scene, people they were ruled by the judges, who were prophets, and their ride was usually a donkey. And then, probably the last king mentioned of riding a donkey in Israel was King David, who was called the man after God's own heart, to whom God made a covenant that your descendant will rule forever and ever. So by riding on a donkey, using a donkey for his entrance, so Jesus enlists himself among the prophets. You think I'm a prophet? Indeed I'm a prophet. But he lays a direct claim to the throne of David and showing quite clearly that he is the Messiah and also fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah which reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, affirming loud and clear that he is the chosen one, the one that the Jewish nation has been waiting for. And now in this donkey narrative, something more goes on. Quite explicitly, Jesus is going to reveal who he is. He tells his disciples, if somebody asks you, why are you taking the donkey? Plainly say to them, Lord has need of it. Who has need of it? Lord has need of it. Till now, his miracles has displayed power over the elements, displayed lordship over the elements, over human life, over every sickness, over every disease, over demons. But for the first time, he's quite explicitly saying that tell them, Lord needs it, I am the Lord. I am your God. I am the one who has created everything. Now, many people, especially Muslims, they will say Jesus never claimed to be God. I mean, what else is he implying here if he's not really claiming lordship over everything? Against all the books which people revere as holy, Bible makes it quite explicit that through him were all things made. Without Jesus, nothing has been made. And he has the right over every single thing to use it as he pleases. But praise God, he's a good Lord. He doesn't lord it over his people, but rather leads by example. And you see how humble of a Lord he is. Now I want you to know that everything that you own belongs to him. He is the Lord of it. And if he asks you for something to be put to his use, we will do really well to oblige very quickly just as the owner of the donkey hey after all he is Lord isn't he and Lord loves the obedience of faith I don't know what he is asking you to give up maybe something maybe someone we will do good just to do it away quickly Lord loves a cheerful giver now coming back to our narrative we see that when they bring the donkey, a king is quite humble, a lord is quite humble, and he is not very rich, even though he possesses everything. There is no saddle for him to mount. So his disciples, they use their cloaks to make a makeshift saddle for him to sit on the donkey. 
and so they do. Now, cloak is like a coat, slightly bigger than the coats that we are used to, covers them entirely. And how we have three or four in our wardrobe, maybe not that many in New Zealand because we don't dress formally that much. Uh, but for them, they owed only one. And when they were on the journeys, this cloak even became their sleeping bag. It acted as their pillow when they went to bed at night in the open countries. And if it was raining, it protected them. It sheltered them against the natural elements. So it was something which was precious. It was something which was, of very, use, which was very useful as well. They used that to honor their king, to honor their lord. And we are told that disciples, they threw their cloaks on the donkeys. And as Jesus is now descending down the slope and looking over to Jerusalem, people come out and they are throwing off their cloaks onto the streets, onto the roads, and the donkeys riding over them. And they are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the Lord who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory in the highest. Peace in the heavens. You see, that our actions, they have some sort of effect on other people to elicit a response towards our Lord and our King. These disciples, they gave what was expensive, what was very dear, what was very necessary for day-to-day -day life in that ancient uh, Judea and the people they went one step further to honor our king our lord our actions they speak quite loudly there is a magnificent story in Mary Chapin's book of whom the world was not worthy the book told of the sufferings of the true church in Yugoslavia where so much wrong has been perpetrated uh, by the politicized ecclesiastical clergy. Now one day, in such a setting, an evangelist by the name of Yaakov, he came to a certain village and he began commiserating with this older elderly man uh, whose name was Simmerman regarding all the tragedies that he has experienced and tried to share the love of Christ with him. Simmerman abruptly inter interrupted Yaakov and told him I wish nothing to do with your Christ don't you remember all that that has gone on in this town in the name of your Christ art is a history replete with plundering with exploiting and even with killing of the innocent ones my nephew was killed by them I don't want to do anything about Christianity leave these guys, they wear these uh, coats, they wear these caps, they wear these crosses, signifying a heavenly commission, but their evil deeds and their evil designs, I cannot ignore them. Please leave. Yaakov was always looking for an occasion to get Simmerman to change his line of thinking. So one day, he got hold of Simmerman and said to him, Simmerman, can I ask you a question? Suppose I was to steal your coat, put it on, 
and break into a bank. Suppose further that the police, they sighted me, running in the distance, but they were not able to catch up with me. One clue, however, your coat puts them onto your track and they arrive at your doorstep and they question you, what are you going to say? I'm going to deny it. But they saw your coat. Zimmerman saw where he is coming from, so he did not like his analogy, asked him to just leave. Yaakov thought, hmm, I think I have achieved what I wanted to. So every now and then he will come back to this village, he will talk to Zimmerman, try to encourage him, try to share the love of Christ with him. And one day, Zimmerman asks him, how does one become a Christian? And Yaakov taught him the simple way of repentance of the sins and trusting in the words of Lord Jesus and gently pointed him towards the shepherd of his soul. Zimmerman bent his knee on the soil that day with his head bowed and surrendered his life to Christ. When he got up, he wiped his tears and embraced Yaakov and said, thank you. Thank you for being in my life. And then he did this. He pointed towards the heavens and said, You wear his coat very well. You wear his coat very well. See, there are five Gospels. And most of the people will never read the four because they read the Christians. We Christians, we wear Jesus' coat. We ought to wear it well. Now please come back to the Mount of Olives. Come back to the slope again. Hear the crowd shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, shouting on the top of their voices, waving the palm branches, waving their cloaks, waving whatever they can, the children they mounted on the shoulders of their dads. And while all this singing and rejoicing is going on, people are just applauding their king, their Lord. You see, these Pharisees, they make their way towards Jesus and say, Teacher, ask your disciples to stop. You see, out of all the crowds, these boys, they were the most educated. Pharisees, they had the entire Old Testament memorized. They ought to have known it is their king who comes riding on a donkey. And they should have been the first one to shout out the shout of praise. And all the crowds would have followed. But this tells us something of human heart, doesn't it? Tells us of human nature, doesn't it? That knowing things here doesn't elicit the right discernment. Your motives are quite important. These are rulers of the synagogues. These are the people teaching others the way of God. But they want to serve God as it deems fit to them. And they would even tell God what is the right way. Rather than just going along, taking commands. They will try to command God. And Isaiah is very right about such people. That they come near to me with their lips. But their hearts, they are far away. Jesus is Lord. He has revealed himself as Lord. He knows what is inside human heart. Jesus rejects all the soul-looking humble requests from the proud heart. But even a proud praise for him coming out of a humble heart, he lets it reach and touch the heavens. 
in the past we know that he gave explicit commands to the demons don't shout out quiet because they were shouting we know you are the chosen one you are the holy one of God he told his disciples no don't go out and tell I am the Christ but to the Pharisees he said if I ask these people to shut up these stones they will shout they will cry out and it did happen didn't it just a few days later when he breathed his last on the Calvary the earth shook with a very loud earthquake very loud sound and the stones they rent brothers and sisters Jesus is Lord and he is King when Pilate Pontius Pilate he asked him are you a king he said yes I am a king but my kingdom is not of this world my kingdom is of another world there are in fact two kingdoms kingdom of this world which is ruled by Satan and whose subjects they have a destiny away from God in hell and there is kingdom of God which is ruled by our king our Lord Jesus and the destiny of whose subjects is with him with God the Father for the entire eternity Jesus is not like earthly kings who command devotion by fear no 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 not at all he is a king who commands your devotion by love and sacrifice that he shows on the cross Jesus is not like the king who commands awe by pomp by riding into the chariots no not at all he is a king who comes out riding on a donkey Jesus is not like a king who uses his bodyguards to take the bullet for him not at all he is a king who took the bullet of damnation which was coming our way which was coming the way of his subjects kings of this world when are they approachable to humans ordinary folks try meeting John Key and see when you get through but he says come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest see every time you hear about such a king every time you hear about such good lord there are only two responses either you accept him as your king and shout out this loud praise just like the crowd Hosanna blessed is the king who has come in the name of the lord or carry on serving under the king of this earth and have nothing to do with Jesus I want to close with another poem uh, which goes like this Jesus is almighty lord and so loving a king today how will you respond to him will you carry on waiting not to ponder or will bow your knee in sweet surrender i pray that we all bow our knee in sweet surrender and shout out a loud shout of praise to our jesus our lord he is worthy let me pray and then the music team will come and we'll sing to our lord and king lord jesus you are king you are lord you know everything you know every human heart you know what's going on even now lord i pray that if anybody is subject to the king of this world they will walk out and they will say no more and they will come under your kingship and lord jesus 
as we sing praise to you be enthroned in our praises send your spirit to fill your people we ask these things in Jesus most precious name Amen